Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down with Steve Saretsky to talk about Canadian real estate. If you're not familiar with Steve, he's got a rather large following online. He is a, I'm going to read his Twitter bio here, which I like. He is a real estate aficionado, a Vancouver realtor and investor, and a student of macroeconomics and credit cycles. This guy knows his stuff. I can't believe how much he shares online. I think he's doing all of us a lot of value by sharing what he does share online. We talk about his thoughts on real estate. We get a description of the current state of the Vancouver real estate market, what he thinks of the Canadian real estate market. We talk about macroeconomics. We also talk about some predictions. We get out the crystal ball and try to make some predictions. Um, I'm chuckling because it's next to impossible to make predictions these days with everything going on. And we talk about other things like just life and life principles and living the way you want to live and how easy that is sometimes and perhaps how difficult that is sometimes. So we get into it all. Great chat. And if you are listening to this and you want to dive into the Canadian real estate market here in the greater Toronto and Golden Horseshoe area, you can learn a lot about the strategies that we are using by visiting rockstarinnercircle.com. When you hit that website, you're going to get access to free reports that we put out on things like population growth in this area, but also on the destruction of the middle class and why housing is going the way it's going. And we're going to get into things like, or sorry, we're going to share things like free digital copies of our books. You can get our most downloaded book, which is Income for Life for Kids. Canadians off that website, but you can get our blueprint book among other books on that website as well. You can register for our introductory real estate training class off that website. You can get links to our YouTube videos and links to other podcasts like this. It's all there at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. We are live with Steve. Oh, now I'm hesitating. Saretsky. How do I pronounce it? Boom. We nailed it. Oh, yeah? Okay. Saretsky. Steve Saretsky. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Nicholas Alexander Kradza, my little brother's here, as I mentioned. Nick, I love saying that. Sorry. Um, I know. But, I you know, know. <laughs> Steve, I didn't ask it before gets, we started. It probably doesn't get old for other people, just for me. Yeah, just for you. <laughs> yeah, Steve's hearing this. I know I'm a funny guy, dude. So it's this is good. <laughs> um, Steve, I didn't ask before we started. Um, you're from the West Coast. Are you? I'm hoping you're a Leafs fan, though. Are you a so, Leafs fan? No, you- but uh, I'm not a Canucks fan either. Um, well, what uh, are you, Flames? No, I'm a big Colorado Avalanche fan. I uh, grew up oh. as a kid watching Joe Sackick, and Joe Sackick grew up 20 minutes from where I grew up. So uh, Burnaby Joe, as we called him, he was he was my idol, and I've I've followed them ever since. So okay, that's a lot. That's a lot. I thought you were going to be a bandwagon jumper on Colorado. That's no, a lot. that sounds that I, seems I, like a legit story. So you're allowed. I was there that- for the 48 point season like five years ago. That was tough. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm going to the Leafs game tonight. And uh, I don't know, jerseys might be thrown on the ice tonight. So (laughs) I'm 49 years old. And I've been suffering for I think I've been suffering since I was in the womb. I've been suffering 50 years. Anyway, Steve, it's a pleasure having you here. You share some of the content that I think Nick and I resonate the most with when it comes to real estate. Um, You seem to have a, 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 a kind of combination of real estate commentary on the Canadian market, and then the market where you are in. 
um, but also on kind of global macroeconomic stuff. I just wanted to ask before we get into some of the details, where does that come from? How are you able to comment on the real estate market, but also at a higher level on interest rates, M2, what's going on globally? Where does that kind of knowledge base come from? Honestly, man, it's just like self-taught. I mean, everyone's like, this guy's not an economist. I was like, no, I'm not an economist. I don't really want to be. Um, I don't, you know, I don't want a PhD. Um, I just, I just like to learn. I like to always try to improve myself. Um, this just, honestly, it was just, I spent a lot of money on subscription services over the years, you know, Real Vision, listen to people like Jeff Booth, Lynn Alden, podcasting, reading books. And I'm just, I'm just passionate about it. I like it. I really find the whole you know, global finance, it's kind of like a massive chess game, right? Like you're trying to figure out how all the pieces are going to move and what the next play is. And I think it really matters to figure out our like housing market even, right? Like Vancouver, the Vancouver housing market, for example, and GTA is the same. It's like, you know, we're impacted by global capital flows from around the world. You know, in 2015, 16, we had China devalue the yuan. All that money came gushing into to Canada. And it's like trying to understand how those capital flows work. And then obviously now we're seeing like the power of interest rates and central banks and how they can manipulate, you know, currencies. And uh, I just find the whole game so, so fascinating. So I've just been trying to be a, a student really of, of markets and trying to figure out how I can use that information to try to educate uh, my clients. And then for uh, a lot of our audience isn't going to be familiar with the Vancouver market. What's the latest right now? So we're recording this. What's this is early. I think I feel like I need to say this because tomorrow could be totally different, <laughs> but we're very early in November 2022 as we're recording this. What's the current state of the Vancouver market right now? Uh, it's really weak. Um, I don't think it's as bad as the GTA based on kind of what I'm hearing and seeing from other people, but, um, you know, we're depending on the month, like, so for October, we just, you know, we had the fewest number of home sales since October, 2008. Obviously that was just like a month after Bear Stearns collapsed. So, and then, and then the next weakest month would have been like October of 2000. So we're like, depending on how you want to splice the data for the last, you know, three, four, five months, we've pretty much been running at like 10 to 20 year lows in terms of sales volume. So very, very weak. Um, the problem is, is we don't have a ton of inventory right now. Sellers are definitely digging their heels in, uh, but you know, prices are down. I'm in the inner city here, uh, near the downtown core. Prices are down, you know, maybe about 10%. But if you go out into the pandemic stuff, into the suburbs where we had all that froth, um, I think there's a portion of the society that's more vulnerable to interest rates because it's more blue collar. They're much more sensitive to these interest rate movements. Um, you know, we've seen detached houses in parts of these markets down an easy 30%. Um, so, the correction is definitely widespread, but it's definitely more concentrated in, in some of these other areas that were, I think, frothy due to, to pandemic uh, factors. What I'm curious, what kind is, does that matter the type of house in those areas? Because we're seeing a big difference between the, the starter in, in some of the areas outside of Toronto, the starter home category versus like higher price homes. So in Oakville, for example, at a, you know, something that was selling at two and a half million bucks has been, greatly impacted versus um, something that's a little bit further out. There was a starter home category, starter home that was selling at 700. Now it's, it's not down nearly as much as a, on a percentage basis as the, uh, as the higher price home, but like that move up, that move up house to us is, is where we're seeing things really sit in that impact kind of, kind of hit, not the starter home category. Interesting. Uh, I would almost argue that the starter home stuff, like in the suburbs has been hit 
like the hardest. Um, and, and what price point is that for you when you, when you uh, mentioned that? Oh gosh. I mean, like those areas are so far out that I, I don't service them, okay. but I mean, I could, I could tell you like, you know, these houses were going for like 1.2 at the peak, for example, this would be like Chilliwack. I'm just giving you a rough example, you know, 1.2, they're now selling for like 750, 800. Oh, wow. You know? okay. So like yeah, they've, yeah. they've, yeah, they've had some huge movements and like, yeah, we've seen townhouses in the suburbs, like going from like 1.1 now selling for like 850. So like, you know, those, there's been some, some pretty big movements in some of those, those pockets, um, but like I said, the inner city stuff, which is interesting because like in 2015, 2016, when we had all that foreign money that came in and boosted the market, a lot of that capital actually went to the higher end market. So luxury homes in West Vancouver, luxury homes on the West side of Vancouver. Um, when we went through a correction in 2017 and into 18, um, those markets, some of those markets dropped 25, 30 to 35%. Wow. Um, but this time around, like they're, they're not really impacted that much because the lot, like this last two and a half years hasn't been driven by, you know, foreign capital flows. It's been driven by like cheap money, yeah. locals being like bank accounts, like, Hey, go bore your brains out. We're going to keep rates at zero for, you know, end of 2023 or whatever. And everyone's just like, Oh my God, great. I can borrow a mortgage at 1.3%. And, and they, they took it. Jeez. Holy smokes. Uh, that's interesting. That's different across different pockets of yeah. the, of the I don't country. Think we've I, had the same, we, we've definitely had the foreign capital come in. I just don't think we had the same level of influx that like we didn't see, you know, that earlier time frame when, when there was a lot of kind of Chinese, you know, or Asian money or foreign capital going to Vancouver, we weren't seeing the same influx here at that time. Cause you guys had that huge run up way before Toronto. You guys were, were ahead of us. And this area doing that type of stuff. So it's just, it, yeah, it's a little slightly different. I feel like we got the spillover like a couple of years later. You know, it, it was, was kind of really, like Vancouver yeah. was tapped out and then they're like, oh, there's this yeah. place called Toronto. You know? and yeah, I think we had that tax. foreign buyers tax come yeah. out in like August, right. in, August of 2016. And then I think you guys had like some some residual from that. Um, but yeah, definitely. Like, I think our market's also smaller too. So when like, you know, it's a bunch of that money starts flowing over like this, there's, there's only so much real estate in this city. It's a, it's a pretty small city um, yeah. in the grand scheme of things. And and yeah, it had a pretty big influence. Okay. I, w I didn't think I was going to ask you to get your crystal ball out so early because I want to ask you just how you got into this a little bit and some other things. But um, when we look back at the data, so Steve, you don't know this, but our family almost lost everything in the real estate crash of 1990 to 96 here in the GTA. Our father was flipping properties. You could do no wrong in the late 80s, 1990 hits. It was absolutely devastating. Interest rates went up 3% in 30 days. Um, yeah. And a house that our family had purchased to flip for 750,000 in Mississauga went down to about 450. We were only guessing to 450 um, in about four month span. Like it just went straight down. So we almost, that was really devastating. We were renting it out, losing it about a thousand dollars a month, trying to just survive. Cause we couldn't, you know, we couldn't kind of hand it back um, and take that kind of loss. Um, and prices went down for six years. But when we look at the data on the real estate transaction, it's really interesting. Real estate transactions were only down for one year. And what happened is if I reflect back on just some of my father's friends at that time, I was about 17 years old. Um, people just kept thinking things were going to get worse. So people started selling. 
And so prices kept coming down as more inventory kept coming on the market, but prices actually, you know, just went down for six years. I'm not sure I see a six year thing here just because of the global debt situation and, you know, an inability to keep rates maybe as high as they currently are. If you had to kind of rub the crystal ball, where do you think the spring market is? And I don't know if you want to comment on Canada or Vancouver, however you want to comment on it, where do you think we are in the spring market? And I, and I know this is just like, none of us know, but if you just had to guess, where do you think we are? Uh, I mean, my personal, my personal opinion, I suppose, is I think that the next six to 12 months, I think are going to be challenging. Um, so I think we're going to see a slow grind lower in pricing. Um, I think we saw this initial like flash crash, which was like, People got stuck with two properties in, you know, February, March, April. A lot of them, there was definitely some forced selling. The prices gapped down pretty quick. I think now we're seeing people digging in their heels. Prices are sort of firming up a little bit. Um, so, but I still think like rates at these levels are, are simply too high uh, for our, our high levered housing markets, right? I just don't think the GTA and Vancouver are are designed to withstand, you know, five and a half, six percent mortgage rates. So I think as long as rates hold, I think they do for at least a little while. Uh, I think the spring market's going to see slightly lower prices, um, and then I will carry on. I don't know. Like it's hard. It's hard for me, obviously, to to predict. I think like there. I think there's an element of pro probability because everyone's like waiting for like this pivot, and then like it's back to like bull market. But like maybe we don't have a bull market for like two, three. Mm -hmm. maybe four years, right? Like maybe it's just, maybe we just muddle through for like, you know, 24 months. And, uh, cause you know, you're saying, Hey, it was, you know, it took six, six years to get back. Like maybe we, maybe we go through like a three-year soft patch here. Um, that, that's like, to me is a possibility. Um, I think ultimately I think rates, I, I personally think rates are going to come down. I don't think they're going to come back down to, you know, pandemic lows, but you know, everyone's talking about like recession bank of Canada's like basic bank of Canada's already come out and admitted like we're, we're going to basically en en engineer a recession here. Um, and so in my opinion, I think, uh, you know, bond yields come lower. So fixed rate mortgages come off a little bit, but you know, again, if, even if they only come from five and a half percent on your mortgage rate back down to like four and a half, I still think four and a half is too high. Mm -hmm. I just, I, it's just like the numbers just don't work that well. Um, not only for investors, but for families. Um, so that, that will be the question. Um, I still think like that. I think basically my sort of larger view is housing is, is really, really quite weak, you know, 20 year lows in Vancouver, 20 year lows in the GTA that uh, policymakers are a step behind. I think they're going to over tighten as they always do. And I think that we're going to endure some pain and, and uh, ultimately they're going to have to pivot, but that pivot will probably come later than what they probably should be doing. I just, from following you, I feel like you're a pretty opinionated guy, which I like. What do you feel like you never tell people about housing that you want to say? Like, is there stuff that you don't say? Oh man. Like okay. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. Um, <laughs> I feel like, I just feel like you just have enough opinions that I'm like, shit steve's like there's other stuff here he he if you'd let this guy lose he's gonna bark some good shit so like is there <laughs> is there stuff that just is on your mind whether it's about uh, for your uh, anything with the real estate okay market? I, i've got a good one i've got a good one you guys yeah. probably heard this because we were talking about it like before we started recording which is like how the real estate industry kind of works and there's like these like ingrained um sort of beliefs 
um, that we're all sort of told when you get your real estate license, which is like real estate only goes up and like, you know, you buy it and like, you know, the average rate of return, it will go up, you know, whatever, five to 8% a year. And it's like, well, man, we've just had like prices, like literally like in some of these markets doubled in the last like four or five years. Like people just love to extrapolate. And I'm like, what well, if you keep extrapolating, you know, 7% a year, whatever, like at some point, like, you know, your average price per square foot for a condo in the city is going to be like, you know, 2000 bucks come like 20, 20 next year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, to me, it's just like, I don't know. Like, can we really, that's why I'm saying to you guys, like, maybe there's a possibility where if we go through like a flat market for like five years, right? Like, so I think the, the notion is like, you know, you get a lot of like home buyers or, or sellers even like, well, you know, the market always goes up and like, it's hard to go. Like, you never want to push back on that. Cause you're like, okay, like, I don't want to sound like the crazy person that thinks <laughs> totally. yeah. maybe it doesn't always go up. Um, we had they, just on, on yeah. that note, we just had, we, Nick, I know, I think, you know, the story I'm going to mention. We had one, if he's, he's probably going to listen to this. We had one client of ours buy a property and he was going to sell it. And at that time um, we were appreciating properties. You were, we're telling people like, kind of be like four and a half percent. This was like 2008. We're like, Ugh you know, maybe appreciate the property like four and a half percent a year to come out with a price that you might sell. If you're going to extrapolate forward and look ahead three years, maybe 4%, maybe even three and a half. And he figured that he would sell it in three years. Nick, do you remember? And he used seven or seven and a half percent. And we were like, whoa, yeah. whoa, like you're not going to get a bank. If, if you think you're going to get that reappraised at that time, like you're, you're, you're never going to do it. Doesn't the Burlington market appreciate like seven and a half percent a year for three years? And he looks at us and he's like, I'm pretty sure I should be teaching the classes guys, you know? And we're like, and so it's a, it, to your point, it's like, how do you tell, you know, there's been such a long history now of like appreciation when you tell people, Hey, you know, averages are kind of misleading and, you know, you need to kind of look at things and be a little careful with your investments. And you, we always preach about cash flow that your portfolio, if you're having investment real estate, it should cash flow because if you're just buying in the hopes of appreciation, our family got caught that way. Don't be us you know, buy for cash flow so that you can survive. Um, but it has been hard because like you said, if someone says that to you, it's hard to be like the downer. That's like, Hey, you know what? Um, cool just your take... jets. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. I think I actually had a, a friend of mine, um, uh, nice guy, but like, you know, he calls me one day. And so there's an area in Vancouver, just outside of like Vancouver, 20 minutes from the decor, you know, it's a nice, a nice area. It's up and coming. Anyways, they're building all these like new shiny towers. Cause it's, you know, the new spot to be. And so he's like, Hey, you know, I work for the developer and we're doing our, you know, this is tower four that they're launching. And I was like, he's like, should I buy one? I got the friends and family they're letting me have first access to it. I'm like, Oh, maybe like, you know, what's the price? And he's like, well, you know, they're asking about 1500 bucks a square foot. I'm like, oh my God, man. Like, like the rese the stuff, like the brand new stuff that they just completed that's on the resale market is like 1200 a foot. So I was like, they're asking 1500 a foot. And I was like, so you got to sell this thing when it completes. It's like, he wants to flip it. And I was like, so you're going to wait like four years, hope it goes up and you can, you got to flip it for like 1700 to make some money. I was like, 1700 man like those those are some huge numbers he goes but he goes yeah but remember when tower one pre-sold like six years ago and like they were going for like 700 a foot and i was like yeah but you can't just like, keep extrapolating like he goes from 700 a foot to 1800 a foot i mean like the numbers simply don't make sense like anyways it, it's i don't know it was just amazing and this is obviously a guy that was like heavily involved in the real estate development sure, community yeah. but like just everybody just extrapolates into infinity 
Yeah. There is a natural glass ceiling based on incomes. Like it just, you know, it has to like, like where we are now, it feels like I was just looking at like the long term trend line. We overshot completely. Like we just, we just spiked so hard. It was really, you know, and for exactly kind of some of the stuff you look at is just the, the irresponsible, you know, monetary policy that we had in this country caused this kind of just this spike in, in prices. And now we're, we're almost back. This is a Canadian chart. It was from BMO, I guess, last month or a couple months ago. We're almost back in line with kind of the long-term trend, right? So we'll see, you know, might dip below and then kind of go whatever the case may be. But I think it's like, what people don't get is like, we need like a, a slow and steady market is like a, that's what we want. That's that's like a sustainable market. These like price increases, that things are just going like this, and like it's gonna it's gonna keep going up. It's just it, it, they never last. Like look at Alberta when that was happening, when you know oil was booming there. Look at you guys when that was happening before. The, the, all the only international money coming in. The only thing that doesn't, and, and I agree obviously with all of this, but the only thing that to me that's in the back of my mind, I'm like shit. Like, is there enough debt in the world now? where maybe a liberal government comes out in a few years to say, or any government, uh, I'm not picking on one party, but that says, hey, to save the first time buyer in Canada, we'll just go to 40, 50 year amortizations. And they kind of have to go there because they need more money growth in the system. So part of me, although I'm agreeing with what we're all saying here, but part of me in the back of my mind, I can't help. There's this bit of this voice that's like, like, are we entering this weird era that yes, it might be slow for two or three years, but is the response to a slow two or three years so much liquidity that flushes into the system in all different ways? One of them being extending amortizations in the name of saving the first time home buyer and making housing affordable to them, even though that's going to give them debt for the rest of their lives. Does that, the, the price we're response- already, We're already going there. You think so? I think so. I mean, that's like, I mean, it kind of like, yeah, it's again, it's funny. It's like so real estate, but kind of, kind of almost makes you a little bit like sick. But like, it's 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 where we're going. I think like, you know, we saw Australia uh, has been talking about it, which is they're going to provide like twenty percent of the down payment or something. Like we've already got um, yeah, that's uh, right. I equ- forgot. We've already got that. equity yeah. programs in Canada, right? Where you put down what five percent, the government matches five percent, and 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 you know now you got ten percent down payment kind of thing. And that's and what I think makes it. Oh, go ahead, Nick. Sorry, sorry. No, so there's you know there's private companies coming out and doing that as well, whereas they're putting that down part of the down payment and they're taking part ownership in in the property, um, and they're you know different terms you know with different things. So you're starting to see it. And, and Tom, that's where I was going to go. I was going with my question. Is I think I got my my daughter's little hairband she gave me here. <laughs> um, this is my financial tool, but this is um, uh, this. I was going to that point because I'm like, I think after this stuff shakes out, because they can't do it now. Politically, they can't do it now. So there is this natural glass ceiling, but then they have to do something that they're, because politically, they, they, people, if, unless people come to terms with like, hey, you're not going to own a home, right? Politically, they're going to want to encourage home ownership because it's a good thing to run on from an election platform. That's when that, that type of, that type of um, message or that type of program comes out, you know, or they expand these things, Steve, that they're doing now with these equity programs or whatever, because you see the private sector already coming in, right? The private sector is already coming in to do it. And if the, the government feels like there's an opportunity there for them to do whatever, because they want more control over everything all the time, it seems like anyways, they're going to kind of step in and do their, do, do their approach to it. I think the goalposts are just always moving, right? Like we saw during the the onset of the pandemic, right? Like defer your mortgage. Don't pay your mortgage for six months. Like anyone is like, well, yeah, it was a pandemic. They had to do that. But it's like, if you had even brought up that idea, like pre-pandemic, people would be like, there's no way that would ever happen in a downturn that they would do that. And so I think like, I mean, 
by all intents and purposes, that program was the way it was intended to, to do. Uh, I think it was actually successful in its own metrics, which was, yeah, it actually did prevent a, a downturn, did prevent mass foreclosures. Um, you know, I think we've had 40 year amortizations in the past. There's no reason to think like those can't come back. Uh, one of the, one of the craziest things, um, my good buddy there, I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, Ben Rabideau tweeted. Um, so the yesterday was the federal government announced that they're increasing their immigration targets. Right. So yeah. by 20... oh, we're all over that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's like, yeah. well, you want to talk about like, you know, trying to maintain the existing system and, and boost house prices. You know, we're talking about 500,000 new immigrants by what, 2025. So Ben, Ben tweets, he goes, he goes, I had a federal MP member of parliament telling me uh, via DM that quote, high immigration supporting house prices was one key consideration in today's announcement. Right. So it's like. Did they consider hospitals and roads in that announcement? Because it feels like they never considered that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, Like we're already at this breaking point around here i'm like how are we, where are these people going to come from i'm not i'm not anti-immigration i think we have a good immigration system here points based i like kind of what we're doing stuff but there's just got to be a little bit more forethought into this thing like it seems outrageous to be arbitrarily pick these numbers and and, and, then, and on top of that on top of that nick i don't know if steve you know um I, did you know mike moffett he puts out a bunch of population reports specifically oh, yeah. around ontario some of his reports are interesting because he was commenting on, uh, and we had him on the podcast. We were talking about how the universities in Ontario, and I guess it's right right across the country, they are granting student, you know, student permits. What's the what? What is a non permanent student visa? What's the right language I'm using for? Anyway, uh, foreign foreign students who are coming into Canada, and none of that is considered like there's no reporting requirement for the universities across Ontario, and I assume it's right across Canada. Since 2015, Nick, you know the actual number, but the amount of foreign students in Canada has increased at an exponential rate, and none of that is being reported, but they all need rental properties. And so they again, don't, this they is, don't count as the 500,000 or whatever? No, they don't count. No, no the 500,000, the 500,000 you're seeing, it does not include, and someone might correct us for wrong, but I'm Nick, I'm, I'm, I believe we're like 100% accurate on this. That, yeah, that, it doesn't include them, but but some of the non-permanent residents, because they've changed the programs, some of the non-permanent residents then shift over to permanent. So some of the people correct. that are, are, are already here as a non-permanent, they then might be included in the permanent resident status afterwards if they get full uh, full citizenship or residency or, you know, however, however it works. So there's not always, so what we're seeing now is there was this huge influx in non-permanent residents and you're seeing that influx actually continue to increase, but slow. So we're not going to, that's not going to make up this huge extra chunk of people coming in, but it, but it hasn't been recorded anyway. Like it's just not planned. Well, and, and not, not that it's not being recorded. The municipal, provincial and federal government levels don't ask for the number. Yeah. So and if they, a they, university, yeah. if University of Toronto, Western Queens brought all these universities in Ontario dramatically in, increase the foreign student body, there's nobody asking about that. And that puts tremendous demand on rental properties in each of those communities. So it's just another variable. I'm not saying this is like a, like a gotcha for the government. I just mean, it's just another variable that puts yeah, demand well, on the housing, uh, on housing here. That's not really, it's kind of like not reported, not discussed. The school, well, the schools are dictating part of our immigration policy and a huge part of the immigration policy, like the, the, the school, these private corporations with no conversations, you know, that we know of with the government, they're dictating these numbers. And it's why you're seeing a lot of these schools pop up, at least around in our area, Steve, I don't know if you have these, it's like these 
one-off kind of international college things with all these random programs because that's how they're generating they get these recruiters in foreign countries to recruit to their 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 schools they give them uh they pay high commissions and they get them into these programs that aren't really well-suited programs in a lot of cases some cases they might be but you know and then people are stuck here in, in something that they didn't anticipate yeah, no, I've heard about that. I mean, <clears throat> kind of always comes back to like, you guys had Jeff Booth on the show, right? Which is like, yeah, it's just the reality is, is like, that's how these economic systems are built, right? Like more, more people, more growth, more credit growth, maintain the system. And you're kind of on this, ultimately you're on this unsustainable path, but there's no way to to, to get off, right? It's, you have to keep maintaining it. And I don't know. Yeah, I just talked about this on a, an interview like this week, which was like, the reality is, is like every politician is making policy decisions in order to get reelected. They're looking out for their best interests and, and nobody wants the housing bubble to, to blow up on their watch. Right. So everybody just kind of keeps, keeps maintaining it and kicking it off to the next guy. So um, I just think like, you know, we look at immigration being at 500,000 people. Well, like, where are we going to house these people? Like we've already got like a housing crisis. Yeah. Prices are coming off right now, but like, look at the rental market. It's a disaster. So we've still got this housing crisis and what's happening right now. I mean, you guys probably see it in your area, but like, you know, every developer right now is basically hitting pause on their new launches because the, the resale pre-sale markets crap. Um, the risk reward to, to launch a massive, you know, 30 story concrete tower is not worth it. Your financing costs are through the roof. Your construction costs haven't really come down that much. So nobody's launching projects. And so you're going to have, like, I think you're going to see uh, more shortages of, of housing supply, not, not this year, not next year, but you know, four or five years down the road when all these projects that should have launched today um, aren't available in four or five years. So I don't know. I, and that's maybe you're more, if you're looking at from a longer term, like you're looking for that bullish narrative. Um, I, I would say that's, you know, I was actually at a, um, I was at a housing conference. I was supposed to do this interview with you guys last time I was in Toronto. And so they interviewed um, one of the speakers at this event was uh, John Love, John Love at Kingset Capital. Uh, for anyone that's not familiar with Kingset, they're like the one of the largest financers of, of new development projects in Canada. They also own like shopping malls, buildings, hotels. Like, this, guy's, this guy's a billionaire. So he's a self-made billionaire in Canada, really smart guy. And he goes, listen, like the next his basically his summary was like, listen, the next like one to two years, the Bank of Canada is going to cra crash the market. They are going to overstep their boundaries. Um, so interest rates are going to dominate the picture. But he's like over over a five plus year window period. He's like, it's a slam dunk because we're going to keep pulling in four or five hundred thousand people a year. And there's no coordination at the provincial, municipal and federal level. To, to get enough housing built. So he's like, this is, this is a layup. And that, that, those are his words. And I think it's, I think it was, it was quite, quite true. There's no solution to fix the problem. What is the, the rental market this year? Like you mentioned that earlier. So you, cause a lot of what we've seen here, demand gets removed from the resale market or, you know, primarily resale. It just moves into the rental market because we've seen rents jump by, I don't know, maybe 20% or something this year. I mean, it depends on the area and something. So call it between 15 and 20, but it's been like strong moves. Right. Have you guys seen the same same type of thing over there? Yeah, same thing. Like, yeah, fifteen at least fifteen yeah. percent. Um, yeah, it's been it's been crazy everywhere, man. I've got like I've got some rental properties myself in like Calgary, and just the the rents over there, they were they were flat and stagnant for years, man. And they had a huge jump. Uh, 
over the last 12 to 18 months. Pretty crazy over there. Um, and is that yes. where if investors were listening to this and are like, Hey, Steve, you know, I want to buy in Vancouver. Is that where you're kind of directing some of your investor clients, Calgary? Is that your yeah. spot right now? Just a different play, right? I mean, like you guys talked on the show here about like cash flow, and that's where you encourage your clients. Like it's really hard to get like meaningful cash flow in Vancouver. It's just like that the prices are really high and the rents don't generate a whole lot. And 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 so you're you're kind of definitely making more of a bet on appreciation. So Calgary's definitely a different play where like you are getting cash flow. Um the, the rental restrictions for that matter are very lenient. So there is no there's no rent controls. So your variable rate mortgage goes up this year because the Bank of Canada raises rates and your mortgage payments up, you know, 500 bucks a month. You can hypothetically pick up the call, pick up the phone, give your tenant, you know, a couple months notice and say, Hey buddy, your rent's going up 400 bucks. My mortgage is up. I got to pass those costs on to you. Sorry. And, and you think the Calgary market that can be absorbed in the market that does happen? Uh, apparently. I mean, obviously it's always to an extent, right? Sure, but I think you're sure. able to pass the whole yeah. thing. No, but the, like, if I look in Vancouver, like we for the last three years, we've basically been capped at like one and a half to 2% per year. And I've got, I've got people calling me and saying, Hey, my mortgage is up five, 600 bucks a month. My, my variable, like, and I can't, I can't change the rents at all. You know, raising them 2% on, you know, two grand isn't moving the needle. Are there pockets of the greater Vancouver area? If someone was listening and they're like, well, I just want something in that area that you do direct people to, even if it's like negative cash flow, just because maybe you think long, medium long term, this is a place to buy. Could you call out some of those pockets or? Yeah, I mean, some- I like, yeah, I mean, where I where I live and do most of my business, right? I mean, like we're in like the, the best grade A real estate, which is like, okay, you know, you buy a one bedroom condo for $600,000 and we rent it out for 2,400 bucks a month. Uh, but you're getting like a tier one quality tenant that's, you know, medical professional or whatever, like, you know, really, really good tenants. And I would say like the best real estate um, in Vancouver anyways, which is like prime inner city, um, you know. So that's the downtown core. Downtown core. I mean, I I would say like one of the popular ones, like Olympic Village, um, which was built in 2010 for the Olympics. Um, Kitsilano, which is like prime West side neighborhood, like just really, really nice areas where like, you're never going to have a vacancy. I mean, it's like sub 1%, um, rents are going up every year kind of thing. So that's kind of what we direct them to. But like, the reality is, is like, if you're going to those markets, like if you put 20% down today, like, oh man, like it's going to be tough to break even. So you're realistically looking at like putting 25, 30% down and and just sitting on it steve how did you get into real like how are you in this place <laughs> how did you get into real estate you finish yeah. school you go right into real estate we were talking i think i can't remember if we already mentioned it but you got a, like a great you do a great job on youtube you're really active on twitter you have a great following um how did you get here what's the journey uh i played a lot of hockey growing up played like some uh fairly competitive hockey and then like, you can brag, like, you can brag. Hey, you could tell us. No, no, I wasn't like anything like to write home about. I just like, you know, like, so I guess it's like one, one league below like the, the Ontario hockey league basically, or WHL, okay. whatever you want to call it. So it'd be like one league below that. So a lot of guys, like a lot of people that I played with would like, they would play in that league because you could get scholarships to American like NCAA schools. And so that was kind of like the path um, that I was trying to go down, uh, ended up getting to like some crappy school in, in Canada, in BC, did like a year of business there, had a whole bunch of concussion problems. I like how you don't, oh, did you? 
Yeah. I know you said crappy, but you don't name the school name. That's probably smart. Oh stuff. yeah, it's, so, it's, yeah. It was a bad school. I pretty much just, to... I didn't go, I didn't go for the schooling. I went for the hockey. Yeah. Um, but then you had, you, you hit some concussions. Is that what happened? Yeah. I just had a bunch of concussions yeah, over the years shit. and I was like, you know, I got to stop. I can't, I can't be playing like competitive physical hockey anymore. And like, it was kind of the end of the road for my like career anyways. Um, so yeah, just from there, basically, I was like, well, what am I going to do next? And I was like, I, I hated school, man. I just, I love, it's funny now because like I love to learn. I'll yeah, pick yeah. up, obviously, book, yeah. <laughs> I'll go to the bookstore. Like, that's my weekend. Go to the bookstore, pick up a book, read it, like pay for like subscriptions to read new, you know what I mean? And then I just, but I just hated school. Um, and so I was like, well, why don't I get into real estate? I loved like rich dad, poor dad, like everybody else. Uh, my mom was actually a realtor at the time uh, in like a suburban market. And I was like, well, she's doing pretty well. Like, you know, like, why don't I try this? And like, I really liked real estate. I loved running. I've always been passionate about like owning, a, owning and running a business. Cool. And I was like, the fact that I get to like be my own boss, that seems kind of cool. So anyways, just kind of got into that. And uh, a couple of years in started a real estate blog, which kind of got popular in like 2016. Cause like the, we had this like boom and the media was picking up all these stories. And then just from there, man, just kind of kept growing. Like every year, the business got a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit more successful. And um, you know, here we How are. How did you get comfortable? A lot of people want to go into business for themselves, but then they don't, they're not comfortable either writing blog posts or going in front of a camera like you do with your YouTube videos. How did you get comfortable writing? Did, yeah, did you, was that yeah. was that forced? Uh yeah, it was forced. You know, it's funny is everybody's like, because I was like getting picked up in the media. And I, I mean, to be fair, I probably, you know, I was like two or three years into the industry. So like, did I should I have been in like the media in the early days? I don't know. Probably not. Um <laughs> but you probably but, had an opinion. You probably had an opinion. Yeah, you know, getting I had to know you now, I feel, yeah. I had opinion and I know I knew where to go. Like people think, like, oh, I remember because I'm really like, you know, read comments online, people would be like oh, this guy's got contacts in the media, like maybe his family's helping him out. And I was like, dude, I don't know anybody. But I was like, I did, to anything, everything's intentional, right? Like I did, I did study, I did like read books and like study people on like how to get into the media. Like how, how do you get like picked up, right? So like I started like getting on Twitter, I started going on Reddit, like getting in forums and, and then obviously creating a, like a blog, um, cause there wasn't a whole lot of people in Vancouver doing it. And, and that's kind of how it started like snowballing from there. And then what about in front of the camera? How are you able to, because we, 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 we have a bunch of clients that we talked to about just their own business development and stuff. How did you get comfortable in front of the camera doing the YouTube stuff? I was terrible, man. I, uh, I started in like, yeah, maybe 20 seconds. I think my video, I left all my original videos up cause I wanted people to like, if you want to go back and look and see where I started, like go scroll, scroll, scroll um just trial and error like like yeah i think it was literally just trial and error i think i think once you become once you become better at your craft like once you really know in depth like your topic it just becomes like second nature whereas like i think when you're first like starting you're trying to get the script right you're trying to remember all the stats you're not like you don't really exude i think a lot of confidence and the funny thing is is like i did youtube for i did one video a week on youtube every single saturday for about a year and a half and I got like zero business, like no results, 25 views a video. Uh, and then it was slowly after that, right? Like the thing is, I think what most people do is they start something and they give up after three, four months. Oh, I didn't, it didn't work. Well, it's like, no, you got to do it for, you know, that's funny. Yeah. You say that timeline. Yeah. Cause we tell everyone a year and a half of nothing. 
do do something for a year and a half, expect nothing and expect just to suffer for a year and a half. So yeah, go, I'm go. amazed. I'm amazed that you're on Twitter as much as you are because Twitter is like just this, you know, just yeah, like it's like you you earn the right to go on other media and to get picked up by the media yeah. if you're willing to go on Twitter and and deal with the amount of crap that goes on there. You know, because that's not that's not easy, especially in real the way like the real real estate over the last few years, man, it's it's polarizing. Because if you say like like what you were sharing before, we're like, hey, like long term, there are this still because we believe the same thing here. There's still some kind of fundamentals long term that could support the housing market here, right? But we're not we're not like real estate only goes up or it's the be all and end all. You got to buy a property now. Like, that's it's easy. It's passive. Out. Yeah. 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 And, but uh, all the things and, we read in rich dad, poor dad, by the way, which I loved, I loved, I'm not, I'm, I yeah. should defend the book. That that book was great. Yeah. yeah. But I'm, I mean, you even come out saying anything even remotely, like, you know, that it's not overvalued by 1 million percent and it should all go to 50 bucks a property and stuff like that. Like, and people are on you. So if you deal, I don't even know how you deal with that. I, I that's a, that's an area that I just stay out of. I'm like, I'm like, a, I like, it you know for different stats and research myself so that's one area unfortunately i give far more uh, sorry i take far more than i give because i'm like i'm not getting involved in this crap <laughs> yeah i mean i agree with you i mean i think like i think it's just something that you get like you build up like a thick skin over time where you're like listen like i don't know the one of the things i always looked at was like you think about like the most successful people like that you maybe admire in like business or real estate or what have you that are out there on social media and I see it and, I, and then I read like people just dunking on these people. I'm like, this guy's a fraudster, like mm -hmm. idiot. God, his prediction is wrong. I'm like, man, this is like, this guy's so successful. He's like spending all his like time and goodwill to like try to help other people. And like, people are still dunking on him in the comments. So I was like, if that's happening to like other people that I admire, like you just have to accept that like, that's yeah, just like it. part of the game, good, basically. Good yeah. perspective. How about, and uh, your time, I didn't prep you for any of this. So I, I appreciate you answering these, your time management. You obviously get a lot done. You do a lot in real estate. You do a lot online. I don't know your family situation. How are you, how are you managing your time? Is that like a set schedule where you're like, you mentioned every Saturday. So do you still do things like Twitter, I could imagine, is like on and off whenever you you're, you can jump on and off. But are there some things we've just allocated that happens at that day and that time? Or no, is it just more kind of off the cuff? Yeah, I'm definitely like pretty regimented. I think like you just you have to be, um, I think, in business. Like, <clears throat> but um, so, yeah, like I have like a content schedule now, like which is. Okay. So like the video, my, my YouTube, my weekly YouTube video goes, gets published every Saturday morning at 9am. Like it just goes out. It's like a TV show. People know to tune in. And then when it's late, people let you know it's late. So it goes out at 9am on every Saturday. I always film those like, you know, Friday afternoons. So I always make sure to have some time in my calendar. where like, Hey, I'm going to spend an hour, hour and a half recording this video. Um, and then, you know, like my mon Monday morning newsletter, it goes out every Monday morning, it goes out at 5am Pacific time. And so that always gets written, uh, on Sundays. And then, uh, and now we've got our, we just added our Looney hour podcast, um, mm -hmm. which is kind of like more macroeconomics, but that always gets recorded every Thursday morning at eight 30 in the morning and goes out every Friday. So the content schedule is pretty regimented. And then I pretty much work my, my days in around, around those. Cause those for me are like non-negotiables like that. The, those P those pillars of content are really what not only drive my business, but they, they, they're driving and building my brand, which is from a larger, bigger term perspective. 
is extremely important for me because I think once you have brand um, and, and people know you trust you, I think like you can build other businesses off of that. That's interesting that you got to that point where you convinced yourself that those are non-negotiable. How, how was that just through all the different like teaching the, all the books that you went to the bookstore and read about marketing and business building? Because most people don't get to that point where those things are non-negotiable. Yeah. I mean, I think it also comes down to like what your aspirations are. Like if you're like, you know, I don't really care about like building like a following and I just want to have, you know, I just want to educate like the 75, hundred clients that I've been working with in real estate over the last five years, then like, you know, you might not be so regimented, but like, yeah, for me, it's always like, listen, I want to do something cool in this space. I want to help as many people as possible. Um, and I want to be, you know, I want to be a brand and a figure in the space. And so in order to do that, I think you have to be regimented and stick with it. Like I brought, I brought, man, like <laughs> my wife is uh, bless her soul, but I brought her, <laughs> I brought like my recording content pieces on, like on, on her honeymoon this summer. So like, you know, I brought like my tripod, I brought my, my podcast. That sounds right. That my, sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so like, I didn't miss, I didn't miss, I didn't miss one like video, one podcast. Like at all the, the newsletters, they all came out for my two week honeymoon. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. People might think that's kind of psychotic. No, no, no. I I remember when we were starting this business, Nick, do you remember we went to one conference, we could barely afford a marketing conference and we spent the money to go to this marketing conference. And I think people maybe from the outside think you're more successful or have more money than you have. They didn't realize like we were just barely holding our lives together. We flew home, we packed, we ran some advertisement that got 300 leads where we promised a report that we would put in the mail. And Nick, do you remember we flew home for two days and we we're going to another conference or something? We came home, we met at my house in the unfinished basement. We're like packing those. I think Nick's wife came, my m- wife was there, and it was just a pure shit show. You're just like, what are we even doing? But these are the kinds of things you kind of have to do. You have, especially when you're building momentum in a business, it's important to keep consistent to build that momentum. And then, like you said, once you have a, a brand and, and you know some following, it gets a little bit easier. See, but you just said like, it's funny because you're like, I, you know, we, we can't even really afford it, but like, we're going to like these like marketing conferences oh, yeah. Yeah. and like, that's exactly like what I did. Like my first like two years in real estate, like I think any business, like you're not really making a whole lot of money. Like it's tough. And, uh, but like almost like every dollar that I made was like, okay, I'm going to take this and reinvest it into myself. So I'm going to go and buy like a couple books. I went to like social media conferences, flew to San Diego, took a couple courses. Like I, I, I put like almost every dollar back into like myself to try to build the, that, those skill sets, which I think stick with you for time. And like, what's the ROI on like a thousand dollar conference? I oh, guarantee you're getting that thousand dollars back and then some. Jeez. especially early like for us especially early on yeah, and maybe after time after you hear similar you see a lot of things over and over i mean there's still value to it but early on man we were sitting there it opened our eyes to just a world of possibilities we didn't even know existed just the way those things were were run and marketed and stuff and it just it changed it changed at least for me it changed my perspective on everything yeah some there, stuff there was, we learned that we didn't want to do there was like oh okay we don't want to do those things but we want to do these things it just gives you perspective it's, it's actually nick what steve said and steve what you mentioned earlier when you saw other people kind of getting dunked on who were like hugely successful and it gave you kind of a perspective of like oh if i get dunked on it's okay that seems like how the world works going to these conferences gave us that type of insight like oh we can do this in a real estate business like we can have a newsletter and we can offer education courses like oh we this is possible it kind of we had to invest in ourselves to be able to i guess maybe give us the confidence 
to to do things a little differently or whatever. Anyway, we're all over the map now. You, yeah. No, it's good. I think I, it's, I think the whole like framework is just like you know provide provide value and and provide more value than than you take in the world and i think you'll get it all back right so it's it's always funny because like you know like in real realtor school you're taught to like do what everybody else does which is like mail out a flyer and like promote <laughs> yourself it's like is that really providing any value to anyone like obviously you guys have gone the route of like educating people helping them putting courses together and like i mean obviously that's a lot of what i'm trying to do and and it's like you putting the client and and the audience ahead of your your own best interest are, are there some principles that you find that you live i now i'm really throwing shit at you so i i kind of uh just yeah i should have prepped you on this but are there some principles that you just kind of live by and, and maybe i'll just give you an idea for us it's always been do the right thing. I, this was like a football coach, by the way, when I was at Oracle, the sales VP played a video of some football coach at Notre Dame, I think that was teaching the football team on like how to live by principles. And he said, always do the right thing, give 110% and treat others as you would treat yourself. And I remember thinking, Hey, those are the principles I want to live by. I'm just going to use those principles for me. And Nick and I, for this business, that's kept us really straight. <laughs> Because we've had a lot of different opportunities over the years to maybe make quote unquote big money really quickly. And we're like, well, is that the right thing to do? And it, you know, it just allowed us to make decisions really easily. Do you have any principles that you've kind of lived by or choose to live by that you've maybe not even identified, but you know, just yeah, having I don't this know conversation? If, yeah, I don't know if I've identified them, but um just like, yeah, I think my mom kind of raised me to 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 always think about others and, and do the right thing so like similar to your point and i just see the way she actually like built and run her real estate business which is like actually extremely successful now oh, wow. um is is all based on like relationships doing the best thing that's for the client not for yourself and i always wanted to set my real estate business up where i was doing enough business where i had enough money in the bank that i didn't feel like i had to like close a sale that wasn't in the best interest of the client. You know what I mean? And you sometimes you're like, oh, this like this is not a good building. You should not buy here. But I'll still see realtors been like, oh, is this fine? Don't worry about it. Like, you know, yeah, the roof's caved in and leaking. But yes. like, you know, <laughs> just get in there because I got to get paid and put food on the tables. So I always wanted to make sure like my business was never set up. Like if I gave people honest and good advice um that it would pay ben it would pay dividends many, many years down the road. Uh, so that's really kind of how I wanted to set my own business up. So I guess from a principal perspective, I hope that answered your question. Yeah, no, that, that's great. I just have a few more questions. Do you have a few more minutes? I'm over. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, is, is that okay? Okay. Yeah. Um, you've kind of gone down the Bitcoin rabbit hole a little bit, right? Have I yeah. seen you comment on that? Where, <laughs> yeah. where did that, where did that come from? Was that just studying macroeconomics and understanding that like, how did, how did you fall into that? Um, that's actually a good question. Um, oh yeah, I had one of my, one of my buddies actually introduced it to me like way back in the day, like 2017, I'm going to say, and he was a real smart guy. And I was like learning finance almost like from him for a little bit. And he's like, you gotta, you gotta buy this. And I was like, I don't know, man, it's kind of confusing. Like, how do I buy it? Da, 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 da. Uh, ended up starting, I actually ended up accumulating like a decent little position in like 2018, um and yeah just like just just read that's all it was like listen to some interviews try to understand it because it definitely seems like when you first like grasp you're like this is a scam yeah uh, totally, like what yes. like what do you mean like digital tokens that <laughs> yeah, i can't totally. and like i you know you, you guys are real estate i'm like a real estate guy it's like i need like like tangible assets that i can like look and touch and feel like to me that makes a little bit more sense but like when you actually truly like read and understand Bitcoin. You're like, okay, this makes sense. I think this should be at least a small portion of a portfolio. 
Yeah. Yeah. We said the same. I, I remember calling it a scam earlier too. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry, I'm, Nick. I'm, no, I was just curious on this, this, so your, the pin tweet you have is we we've, it's funny because I wrote something um, just over the last couple of days, similar about this same thing. You know, we've printed 23% of our Canadian dollars into existence over the past 18 months. This is the end of last year. During that time, national home prices have inflated 34%. I'm not sure building a few homes can fix monetary imprudence. I like that. Imprudence was a really nice word, but um, for for what it, what it is. But I'm, so when you have the, so with that type of comment and mindset, when you have these conversations with your client, your clients often you said come to you from like YouTube and, and, and you know, uh, your blog articles and that type of stuff. And when you're having this, type, you're, you're doing some media as well. Are you talking about this stuff? And how do they react to this? Like, don't like, does the average person that you're kind of hanging out with talk about this type of stuff at all? Because it, like in our world, the real estate people, we know when we talk about this type of stuff mm -hmm. and how it impacts real estate, no one's talking about yeah. it. It's just like, why I don't really get like, it's yeah. like the first time they've heard it. And that's why I'm curious. Like, have you found other people? We're, we're looking. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that's a good question. Um, I definitely find like a lot of my clients, tend to be finance sort of savvy or interested anyways. Um, like I definitely work with like a lot of portfolio managers and stuff like that. So they'll, they'll get it. Um, but like the average client, there's definitely people that I think are like passionate and learning and they sort of get it. And then there's other people like maybe, you know, I don't know, past client, like referred me their friends and I'm like, okay, I got to dial back. Cause like, you know, talking yeah, about you don't want to be the crazy. Growth. You don't want to be the crazy. <laughs> yeah. 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 But like, I mean, yeah. Like this, that was obviously, I think that was like the largest currency devaluation in front of our eyes over the last couple of years. Right. And that was a pretty, a pretty solid argument to buy like physical hard asset. And, and so I don't know, it's funny because people are like, Oh, this is a supply problem. Like buddy, this ain't a supply problem. Like, yes. Like long-term we do have supply issues, but like house prices don't go up you know, 20 plus percent nationally in the span of 18 months. Cause like all of a sudden there's a supply issue. It's like, no, in every listen, city. Yeah. Yeah. You drop rates to zero. You yeah. printed a whole bunch of money and you've mailed people checks and, you know, inflated the, I think what well, didn't even inflate the, the asset, right? Like the house didn't get any better. The house didn't get bigger. The lot didn't get any bigger. It's like the, 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 the purchasing power of that currency just fell. Yeah. It didn't help that they shut down supply chains too. So <laughs> you don't hear anything. It was just like the the, the perfect storm of crap. <laughs> well, that's the thing. And then somebody posted like a chart on Twitter like the other day. It was like M2 growth in the US is like now it's basically turned negative on a year over year basis, right? And like, well, it's no surprise now, like, you know, house prices, for example, are falling, right? Like, you know, you you giveth and then taketh away, right? It's um yeah, I what what do you think? So the two now now we'll, we'll kind of wrap up after this. But what the the two big narratives that I kind of see that I like right now are probably Raul Powell's narrative of like, hey, economic data is just falling straight down. We're going to see inflation just crumble over the next few months, and the central banks at some point are going to have to do something, either governments fiscally or a monetary change. But then you have the Luke Romans of the world. And I kind of like his analysis too. I don't, I'm not sure if you follow him, but he's basically been hinting, yeah, that the, the central banks have been slightly, or the Fed has been maybe, maybe, nobody knows, weaponized a little bit with the energy problem going on in Europe and the war over there. Maybe the Fed's not acting at all thinking about, you know, the state of the economy at the moment. Maybe it's actually being weaponized to say, hey, 
you know, energy prices are going to go up and that's being a used as a tool of war. Well, we're just going to crash the economy. So there's no demand in response and the US dollar will go up through the roof in, in, in value during that time. Um, do you lean one way? Like if you had to guess which narrative is playing out in front of our eyes, is it a combination of both, either of those? What, what, are, what are your thoughts? Do you guys subscribe to Lou Groman? His, his newsletter? I, I have, I think he has levels. I think we have his like one level, like the yeah, Friday. The, okay. Yeah. That, we do. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's a good read. Um, oh, it's great. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, I mean, my personal opinion is kind of somewhere in between of like Raul and maybe Luke, which is like, I think, I think, okay. My, my personal view is I think inflation is, is going to roll off. And I think it's going to roll off faster than most people think. Um, just given like debt loads basically. And I, I think, I think housing is the leading indicator, right? Like it's, it's half of global wealth. It's 50% of household wealth around the world. Um, when that's falling in value, I just think it's a huge, like it takes time for that to, to, to filter through. And obviously Canada's like a, at the pinnacle of that, right? It's, it's everyone's like largest asset. So I think as that's rolling off significantly, inflation is going to come down a lot faster. Like I, I see it all the time, YouTube comments, Twitter replies, you know, just, just even telling people the notion that inflation might be rolling over and coming down. People get mm. so hell bent and upset about that. They're like, you're an idiot. Oil's <laughs> going to $300 yeah. a barrel. People are going to freeze on the streets. I think everyone's just like waiting for the world to end. And I think that it's, we're going to sort things out. And I think that inflation is going to come down faster. I'm not saying it's going to get down to 2%, but like maybe it just comes into a range of three, three and a half percent. And I think that's going to happen sooner than later. It's just because I think the economy is weaker than I think people are maybe anticipating. Um, so that's kind of like my current view. And again, could very well be wrong on that, obviously, but um I just think yeah, like, the year over year comparisons just start to get easy soon too. So you're right. I, I don't know. Well, I kind of so that I think that's the biggest misconception. And you asked me about like the general public about like M2 growth and understanding that is like the common rebuttal I see just talking to people all day online is like, we well, have yeah, a prices aren't coming down. It's like, well, they don't need to come down, they just have to stop going up yeah. five, ten percent, eight percent a year. It's like as long they just have to flatline, like you're you know, you're you're food prices or car prices don't even necessarily have to come down for inflation to, to, to roll over. Mm -hmm. So like, what it's funny. It's like, you just look at used car prices in the U S like yeah. they're, 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 they're down like 8%. It's crazy. So crazy I just think, world. yeah, I, I mean, we'll see. Have you, read, I mean, have you read the book, the fourth turning? I read like you parts like, of it. I actually okay. found that book to be, I don't know about you guys. I've, I have, I, and I've listened to a lot of Neil Howe's interviews. I found his book, his writing to be kind of hard to digest. Tough. Yeah. Tough. I found that book tough too. I, I just focused on the fourth turning part. Cause like about a few chapters into the book, I'm like, I can't really take it. So yeah. Yeah. Kinda, his, and his tough, current tough interviews, tough. you're right. I, I wasn't resonating with his current interview. I'm like, is this the same guy who wrote the book? There feels like there's, I, I, yeah, there was something weird for me there. Not sure what it was. If it was the co-author or something, but uh, anyway, um, we're you know the one thing I'm interested in with Steve, with what, what you're saying, because I agree with you about the inflation is just these energy prices. What because it looks like I mean you're reading some of the same stuff after these midterm elections. Once they stop, it, well, you think they're going to stop kind of draining the the strategic, strategic. petroleum reserve in the, in the U.S. And are these energy prices going to spike again and just screw up these inflation numbers? Because if that happens, and which messes up the inflation, kind of the headline inflation counts that are getting reported, 
then are they under pressure to do other ridiculous things that they shouldn't be doing you know with interest rates that's that's the only wild card i think that's left because i agree with you everything else i, I don't think prices come down i think they're set here and you know and and you know inflation really started taking up when did the the, the numbers really start taking up it was like the beginning of last year right so i think that should settle down a little bit and then and then the war started in february which spiked energy so i'm just that's the only kind of last wild card that i'm just curious to see what what really happens with that if because I I was, it's already started trending up again, even after the last kind of like, they're, they're trying to get it down. Sorry, I cut you off. No, I, I totally agree. I think like that, that's certainly the wild card. And like I said, I could very, very well be wrong. I think, I just think we're going to figure it out. Like, I don't know. Like I just look at like, yeah, you know, I know it's short term, but like, you know, European natural gas prices, which everyone was like talking about it. It's like, well, they like, I think they traded like negative at one point, like last week. And like, cause they yeah. filled up all their reserves. Yeah, Again, that's yeah. temporary. Uh, I'm not an expert on European natural gas, but I just feel like, I just think we, we, like we as a society, we tend to like figure out and find solutions and I don't know. So that, that's, that's kind of my base case. The long story is I don't really have like an answer for you on that. I just think like, we're going to figure it out. And yeah. Well, if you did have a, a firm answer, you'd be the only one in the world at this point, I think, because everyone's, I think, scratching their head. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like you guys, like everybody else, man, trying just to a guy figure it out. trying to figure out the world yeah. and, and, you know, I'm based, I'm guessing like everybody else. So yeah. take it for what you will. Steve, real pleasure getting to know you uh, better. Um, I mean, uh, I can see why people enjoy working with you, why you're, uh, you know, you get the clients that you do and, and, and people reach out to you. Um, so uh, yeah, thank you for doing this. It, what is, if someone's listening to this and they do want to reach out to you, can you share some of your con, like your Twitter handle, your YouTube channel, the loony hour, what you're doing? Can you share a bunch of that stuff just so people are aware? Yeah. Um, Twitter, just Twitter's at Steve Stretsky, pretty active on there. Um, Looney hours, like a podcast to do with two other Canadian guests where we basically just talk about can it's macro based, but it's definitely touches a lot in Canada. So we do a podcast that comes out every Friday. Uh, it's the Looney hour, just search it on Spotify or Apple. Um, and then yeah, YouTube, I have a weekly Saturday show, which is more like Canadian real estate focused. Um, so that's every Saturday, um, you can just search Steve Sretsky on YouTube and, um, yeah, best way to reach me, just send me an email. If you have questions, um, you know, obviously I'm in Vancouver, so I might not be able to help you specifically in the GTA, but if you just have general questions about housing and stuff, I'm always happy to chat. Cool. Awesome. Steve, Nick, anything else for you? No, no, I think that's cool. That the fact that you're willing to do that by email and stuff, you have a lot going on. So that's, that's, uh, that's generous of you for sure. Yeah. Steve, yeah. anything we, anything we should have asked you that we didn't ask <laughs> who's going to win the cup. Who's going to win the cup and don't tell I me Colorado. You, you have to be a day. repeat. Oh, <laughs> repeat baby. Listen, can we just have the Leafs surprise us one year where they start out like garbage and just win the whole, like just law of averages stats. Like we must, at some point, we just have to have a year. I don't get it. So this could be the Leafs year. We need like something to offset this like housing bear market. Me? Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm buying what you're selling. I'm buying yeah. what you're selling. Steve, thank you so much for this, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks really, for having really me on. It. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that episode with Steve Soretsky. We really enjoyed that. We'll have him back. And if you're going to follow him, probably the best place is Twitter. He's super active on that. His handle on Twitter is just his name. So it's just at Steve Soretsky. It's going to be linked in the show notes. So if you're listening to this while you're driving, just go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash podcast. You'll find this episode there and it'll be linked for you right there as well. 
And if you are listening to this and you want to dive into the real estate market in the greater Toronto, Hamilton, Golden, Horseshoe area, you can find out a whole bunch of resources about different investing strategies that we're using with investors right now. And you can find reports there. You can find digital copies of our books. You can register for our next introductory real estate training class there. You can find it all at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.